you, Jesus. We're singing, His Love Overcomes. There's a line in a song that I love right now, and it is that love is returning everything that was stolen or everything that was lost, that love is bringing it back. So right now, anything that you are believing God in your life, I want you to think of something, and there may be a number of things that come to you right away, that you are believing for restoration, you are believing to be returned, you are believing that you are going to see God's power overcome in that situation. Right now, I want you just to close your eyes and I want you to get that thing settled. Like, see that in your mind. We've been given the mind of Christ. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I call for God's creative power to begin to work in your mind. And right now, I want you to see, I want you to let God impart a vision to you right now of God restoring and returning to you those things that have been lost, those things that have been stolen, those things that have been, um, like I see something like a picture of somebody throwing dirt on some, like shovels of dirt on somebody's dreams. And if that feels like you, if you feel like you're in a place right now where you had dreams, you had thoughts, you had an idea of the way things were going to go, and either it's a situation, a circumstance, or the year that you feel like has just thrown shovels of dirt on your plans, who is that? Who's that in the room? There's, I know there's more than one. There's several. Yes. So right now, in Jesus' name, I want you to see love, the love of God breathing breath into those dreams and into those visions. Father, give us your vision. Give us your sight. Give us, as your word says, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see what you have planned for us and what you have for us in the future. And Father, give us the courage to partner with your vision. Give us the courage to partner with your vision. And I see the breath of God blowing like blowing the dust off the top of things that have just been sitting there. Some, uh, there's some dreams and plans that have been hidden in somebody's heart. And it's like you've just put them on a shelf and said, well, that must be for another time. And what I'm seeing is like a silver jewelry box and it's sitting on a shelf and it's very pretty and it's very ornate. And this jewelry box has just been sitting on this shelf collecting dust because your heart and your mind and your thoughts have said it must be for another time. It must not be for now. And I want to say to you in the name of Jesus, now is the time. It's the time to take those things down off the shelf that you have put off for another time that you have said, it's too hard. I don't see the provision. I don't have the time. It must not be the right season in my life. And I speak to you in the name of Jesus that now is the time that you were born. Perhaps you were called. Perhaps you were chosen for such a time as this. And God has specifically ordained you for this time that this is the path that you have been created for this time and that it is no mistake that there are certain things that are intersecting and paths that are crossing right now. And it is time for you to take those dreams down off the shelf and let God's Holy Spirit breath breathe on those dreams again, breathe on those desires. God gives you the desires of your heart. I hear the voice saying, but is it selfish? No, it's not selfish. When you put God right in the middle of your dreams and you say, God, everything that I'm going to do, we're going to do it together. God, I'm asking you to show me your path. I'm asking you to give me your wisdom. Give me your insight. Give me your strength. Give me your courage. Give me your provision. Where God guides, he provides. But you have to take that thing down off the shelf and you have to start letting God put some motion to that. So right now, Holy Spirit, I pray, Woo! okay, we're going to blow cobwebs out of our hearts. 
right now, okay? We're blowing cobwebs out of our hearts. So right now, I want you to join with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. I'm asking you to put your hands right here. This is where... um, you like we think intellectually here we've been given the mind of christ so mind right now we call you to submit to the holy spirit on the inside of us and i want you to put your hands right here and i want you to declare this with me i invite you to say this holy spirit blow the cobwebs out of my heart and now i want you to partner with him and if you would like take a deep breath and we're just going to blow Just partnering with the Holy Spirit in the room. If you want to do it more than once, do it as many times as you need to. The person is feeling it from the backside. (laughs) We're blowing the cobwebs out. Maybe if you need to, take another deep breath. I just see God blowing that dust out, blowing those cobwebs out. It is time to be awake. It is time to be alive. It is time to be alert. It is time to be ready. Because just like Kelsey said, there is a shift coming. The shift is happening and we have to be ready for it. I want to be in position. Amen. All we got to do is be in position. Amen. Turn around and tell someone there are no more cobwebs in your heart. There are no more cobwebs in your heart. In Jesus name. Thank you. No more cobwebs. Actually, can we put it all the way to the front? That way. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's perfect. (laughs) Thanks, James. Thank you, Riley. No more cobwebs. If you are a high school student, all the high school kids are going to do something that they think is cooler than what we're doing in here, but they are mistaken. Just saying that. Just saying. (laughs) Welcome to Cowboy Church this morning. Man, it's good to have you guys here this morning. This is a good-looking crew. Good-looking crew here today. So... Uh, My name is Lynette. If I've not had the opportunity to meet you before and shake your hand, I am part of the team here that gets to serve you week to week. And we are blessed and honored that you choose to call this your home. And we have so many new faces uh, that are in our auditorium, that are in our home, our living room every week. And we are so glad that you guys are here. Whatever has brought you here, we're just glad that you're here and you're welcome here. And we uh, hope that this is home to you. We hope that you find us friendly and that you, man, this, I'm telling you, this side of the auditorium over here, I feel like you guys are the, this is heavy weighted over here. Are you guys feeling it over here? This over here, there's, this is full over here. So I'm just letting you guys know you've got some competition over here. This side of the room I'm feeling could get quite rowdy. You guys have your work cut out for you over here. You may be small in number, but you need to be mighty in expression. Okay. Otherwise, I'm going to migrate this direction. So I need you guys to balance it out today, okay? (laughs) All right. Uh, We have been in the stream. I call it the river. I was just thinking about it. We've been in the river of personal revival here. We've been talking about that for the past several weeks. And the last couple of weeks, Pastor Darren has been up here. The gentlemen are at, not all of them, we have mighty fine gentlemen here in the auditorium. I do not mean to dismiss any of the gentlemen that are here. Some of the gentlemen are at Forge. I don't even know where it is. It's somewhere out east. All I know is you go head that way. Eastward ho, young man. That's all I know. So anyway, uh, Darren is ministering this morning out there, and uh, so I get the privilege of speaking to you this morning. So last two weeks, Darren has been talking about personal revival, and all of this was started by a, an event that happened as we were praying in the back room with a young lady here at church, and she asked Darren... What this has been, this was back this summer. She asked Darren what he wanted prayer for, which ministered to my heart before we even started. Because if you have seen my husband, if you have met him, you know that there is a tremor that likes to visit him. It does not have residence there, it does not have authority there. This tremor is visiting and we're kicking it out. Uh, She asked him, What do you want prayer for? And that really 
got my heart. She didn't automatically assume that she knew what he wanted prayer for. She asked him. And without missing a beat, he started beating on his chest. And he said, I want revival, but it has to start with me. I want a personal revival. And that took me back. And we spent probably 20 minutes in the room praying. And for 15 of those 20 minutes, I was watching. I was in the room, but I was not in the room because I was carrying on a conversation with God. This really ministered to me that this is what my husband would ask for. My eyes and my focus were so set on what I could see of what was going on, that what really had my attention. And God showed me in that moment, you need to think much bigger. You need to look past what your eyes can see and you need to dream beyond what your mind can comprehend. And that is where the conversation with God started for me about personal revival. I said, God, I want you to show me what that means. If this is what my husband is asking for beating his chest, I need you to give me a vision and a truth of what you have for us in that because If that's where he's going, I'm his helpmate and I need to be with him. I need to be on that same page and I need to understand what he's saying. So that is the river that we've been in. That's what we've been talking about. So we're going to continue that conversation today. So that kind of catches you up with where we're at. So with that in mind, I want to ask you a question. You can raise your hand if you want to, but you don't have to. I just want you to think in your mind, how many of you in here are uncomfortable with someone else driving that whenever you go somewhere (laughs) right away we're like yeah amen i need a handkerchief on that Uh, right away you are identifying already with me in that so you feel like like if there is a group that is going somewhere and everybody is going to be going then you're like i'll drive first one i'll drive and you are uncomfortable in the back seat with anybody else's driving. It just puts you on edge. How do I know this? Because this is my husband. My husband, if you go anywhere with us, my husband is going to want to drive. He likes, and I asked him, this is, so, okay, so last week, I got uh, here a little while back, I got a new little car that gets amazing gas mileage. His car, his truck, costs $50 to drive to Fort Collins and back because the fuel mileage he gets in that thing. Me, we could drive, we could drive all over the state for a nickel, you know? So we were on our way over to the gym. Our gym is in Fort Collins. And so we were headed over to the gym. And I said, well, do you want me to drive? Because I could drive there and back, you know, for a dime, right? Okay, so I said, you want me to drive? And he kind of, well, if you want to. And I said, well, it's, you know, it costs so much less to take my car. So <laughs> we're driving over there and I see the car in front of me. There's a little goose that goes across the road in the car in front of me, slowing down for the goose. I see that that man tried to stomp a hole in the floorboard of the passenger side of my car. I'm like, what are you doing? And he said, they are stopping. I said, I know that I see the red lights. And he said, well, then why are you stopping? I'm like, I got time. He said, uh, there's not enough time. You're going too fast. You need to stop. And he proceeds to inform me of how I should be driving. And he's got a hold of the handle. (laughs) He's holding on to the handle. And he's, this is what he does. I'm not joking, y'all. He's got a hold of the handle while he's driving. I'm a good driver. I think I'm a good driver. I don't scare myself. I know what I'm doing, right? He got a hold of the handle and he puts his, his hand up on the dash like this. And like, he's like doing like that. You can hear him stomping on the floorboard. I like to say that riding with me is opportunity to uh, increase your prayer life. That's what I think that's a good, that's a good opportunity for. So he just lets me know that I'm not driving the way that he drives. That's not how, but however, I will tell you, if you have ridden with my husband, he drives like Batman, (laughs) but I'm used to it because he drives almost everywhere we go. It's usually him driving and he drives a great big truck. So I figure, Hey, we'll roll over you and we'll pray for you as we go by. I don't know, but I don't know. But anyway, so 
I just don't drive like he drives and he doesn't drive like I drive. And we are on the road. I can tell you, I have been on the road and I have thought, I don't think any of these people went to the same driving school and got their driver's license in the same place that I did because I know what a roundabout does. I know how to do a roundabout. And there's a bunch of people in Colorado, y'all don't know how to do roundabouts. These are a new thing here, apparently, for some people. Are there people moving in from out of state that don't know how to do roundabouts? And they're a very common thing here now. Anyway, you think, well, they don't drive like I do, which translates as they're doing it wrong and I'm doing it right. And if they would do it the way that I did it, then we would all get along, right? That's the way that translates. What Darren said as we were talking about it, driving to the gym after he had punched a hole in the floor of my car, is he said... He said, I guess I just like to be in control. And he said, maybe that's something that I need to work on. And, but he followed it right up in the same breath with, but you need to work on your driving. (laughs) I can take that. I can take that. When we're not driving, we feel out of control. How many of you can relate to that? You feel out of control. And sometimes that's the way we feel with God. We feel like we are not driving. God is driving. And we think, I think he missed the turn. I think he's going too slow. I think maybe he got lost on his way to me. (laughs) We are not in control. And sometimes we can get very uncomfortable with being in the passenger seat Because God doesn't drive like we drive. God drives differently than we drive. In Psalms, I want to read a a scripture to you out of Psalms. It's uh, Psalm 37, chapter 11. And of course, it's out of the Passion Translation, my favorite. And it says, but the humble of heart will inherit every promise and enjoy abundant peace. Humility trusts the plan of God. The humble of heart will inherit every promise and enjoy abundant peace. Humility puts us in the position of trusting the plan of God, trusting the way that God drives, trusting his plan. It puts us in a position of releasing control. When we put ourselves in the position of humility, Humility says, I don't have to know everything. I don't have to be in control. God doesn't have to drive the way that I drive. That is what humility says. Abundant peace says, he is God and I just have to let go. I just have to let him be God. I have to have the mindset, God is God. And let that go. And when we put ourselves in the position, when we embrace humility to say, God is God. He doesn't drive like I do. He doesn't need to drive like I do. It brings peace. The door is open for peace to come into our life because we realize I don't have to be in control. And let me let you in on just a little secret. You're not in control. Even when you think you're in control, you are not in control, right? We like to think that we are. We like to stomp a hole in the floorboard. That's not going to do anything. That did not slow me down one bit. I just kept right on going. I am seeing that a crucial element of revival is humility. Humility is necessary. This was the... Just as I was, you know, talking and sitting and writing notes with God about this, what I was seeing is that standing on the threshold of personal revival, the door opens on the hinges of humility. And a lot of times the picture that I was seeing was that a lot of times we can stand pushing really, really hard on that door, trying to get it to open. When all the while there's a small whisper saying, just pull. And humility listens to that still small voice. Ah, just pull, just pull. 
Humility is acknowledgement that I don't know everything. And humility says God does not have to fit into my box of personal experience, my theology, my knowledge. Because what happens when we start thinking that we know everything, what we begin to do is we begin to worship our own intellect. We begin to worship our own experiences. We begin to worship a God that is made in my image rather than worshiping the God that created me in his image. And when we start pursuing personal revival, which let me say it this way, personal revival for our sake here for the conversation today is the promise and the presence and the power of the kingdom of heaven operating in our lives on a daily ongoing basis. Personal revival is not a week-long event at the church. It's not something that you put on your calendar. Revival is a lifestyle. So the scripture tells us when Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 6 that he prayed, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Personal revival is taking that prayer that Jesus prayed when he said, pray, when you pray, pray something along these lines, pray like this. He didn't mean you have to pray this word for word. What he was saying was when you pray, pray with an expectation that the kingdom of heaven is going to manifest itself in your life, in presence and in power on a daily ongoing basis. Just as I am with you right now, Jesus would say, as I am walking with you, as I am talking with you, as you are experiencing me, you are seeing me, you are feeling me. You are touching me on a daily basis. That is the way we are to live our lives on a daily basis. Now that we are to continue the revival. So when we come to the place where we realize I don't need to drive. God is a good driver and he doesn't have to do it the way that I want him to do it the way that I think he should do it, the way that my expectation or my past experience says that he should do it. God, you are God. That is a position of humility. And the scripture tells us that when we take that position, that we will enjoy abundant peace. Do you know there is something peaceful about not having to be in control all the time? It's very peaceful to relinquish that and to let that go. Uh, humility. John 15, five tells us that he is the vine and we're the branches. Do you know what that means? It means you're not in control. It means God is the one that we receive our direction in our life from. God is the source. We're just producing the fruit. God is the source. And as long as we're plugged into him, as long as he is our vine and we're a branch growing off of him, we just do our job of growing. We just grow. We just stay connected into him. That's what we do. We don't have to be in control. We just grow. So this is what happens. I'm going to go to John chapter 11. And when we don't have to be in control, this is what happens when God is driving. In John chapter 11, starting in verse 1 out of the New King James, it says this. Uh, Darren read this last week, actually, and I just came back to it because I thought, man, this is a really good example. It says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus and said, Jesus, Lazarus, and they put, they put the, little, the little, they're trying to drive. Remember, you love him. He's sick. So they're sending to him and they want him to come. In verse four, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, 
but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now catch this, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He's saying, I know, I heard you. I know I love him. You don't have to remind me of that. So when Jesus heard that, he was sick. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. Wait, what? What? Do you get that? Now, if Mary and Martha was driving, they have sent message to Jesus to say, Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. And we want you to come right now, Jesus. We want you to put the pedal to the metal. Jesus hears them, and he says, yes, I love you very much. But then the scripture says, he says, this will not be unto death, but for the glory of God. And then he stayed there for two more days. That's not communicating on the outside that Jesus has great care for that. He's like, yeah, I hear that. Uh, we got a really good cornhole game going here, and I'm in the top bracket. I'm going to stay here and finish this, and I'll be there when I'm done. Okay, now if any of us were driving, especially Martha, Martha, Martha tickles me. Martha, she's the one who runs out to him when he does come after two days. She runs out to him and she's like, Jesus, if you would have driven faster, my brother would not be dead right now. And Jesus is like, Martha. Do you, do you ever just picture Jesus' response with Martha? Martha. Okay, I hear you. But we also know that Jesus has said, I don't do anything but that what the Father tells me to do, and I don't speak anything except what the Father tells me to speak. So when Jesus waited two days, it wasn't because Jesus was too involved with his friends there where he was, and he just didn't go for two days. Jesus didn't go for two days because he didn't have the release or the direction from the Father to go. The father who was in heaven was seeing everything that was going on. He had already played all of this out. And he already knows the end from the beginning, according to scripture. He already knows what's going to happen to Lazarus. Yet he tells Jesus to stay there and he doesn't release him to go for two days. Jesus doesn't do anything except what father tells him to do. So when Jesus stayed there for two days, it was because the father hadn't released him to go for two days. So the story continues that Jesus gets there and Lazarus has died and Jesus calls to him from the tomb and raises Lazarus from the dead. But what I want us to focus on is that when Jesus heard this, heaven did not release him to go for two days. In our driving, that is not how we would have driven that car. That is not how we would have driven that situation. But Jesus was driving. Jesus was moving according to the direction of heaven. He was going the way that God was going. See, God exists and abides outside the realm of time. God, God is not moved by the passing of time. God is not under the authority of time. Time is under the authority of God. So God does not move based on our time. Because where God abides is timeless. When we focus our attention when we focus our faith, when we focus our heart on a time frame, we are putting our focus in a realm and we are majoring on a space that God does not, is not moved by. Am I, am I making sense to you? I know, I know what I'm saying here, but I'm not sure if it's coming out here. Are you, getting what, are you getting what I'm saying? That when our focus becomes a 
how much time has elapsed in a certain situation or in a certain, uh, we think something is taking too long. We are setting our heart and establishing and setting, making a foundation of our faith, a foundation that is not what God is built upon. That is not where God is focusing. Because see, there is a story in Joshua where Joshua and the army of God go out to battle and God actually makes the sun stand still until his people are victorious. Which says authority, time does not have authority over God. God has authority over time. When we are humble to recognize that. Time does not have authority over God. Isaiah 57 and 15 says this, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Where does he live? Where is his habitation? Where is his home? In eternity. He says he inhabits eternity whose name is holy. And this is what he says. He says, I dwell in the high and holy places with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. Now the the word contrite means to be crushed or to be, to be, to feel beat down. So he says here that he dwells in the high place with him who has a humble spirit. Now there is a definition for the word humble. That means to bring low. That's what we think of being humble is bringing low, coming down, being low. However, that passage just said, I dwell in the high places with him who has a humble spirit. So that word humble, the other definition for the word humble is to establish deep, to build deep. It is the space between the surface and the depth. God just said he lives in the high places with me who is humble. And then he says that when you are humble, that I'm going to grow you deep. Because in order, the higher you go with me, the more humble you are and the higher you go with me, the deeper I want to grow you. Because the higher you go with me in authority, in power, in presence, in promise, the higher you go with me, the deeper roots you're going to have to have. Because God says, I know that what I'm doing is coming to you in a period of time. And when it comes to you in a period of time, it is going to be for his glory. And there's going to be some resurrection of some things that are impossible for anyone else to do. And when that resurrection takes place in your life, it comes through humility. And the higher you go with me, the deeper your roots are going to have to be to bear the glory that I'm going to manifest through you because it's all going to be to demonstrate who God is our father in heaven. Humility. Yes, it is not thinking too highly of ourselves, but humility, if we can put it in our hearts and let God establish in us that the humility that God is desiring to grow on the inside of those who put themselves in a position of humility with him is that he wants to grow us deep. When a tree has deep roots, it's not easily blown over in the storm. 2020 don't phase a tree with roots. Right? Right? Humble. I got the little amen right there. Thank you. God's perspective of time is different than ours. God drives different than we do. Our process of waiting, the time that goes by, the waiting, oftentimes for us can produce uh, sorrow. It can produce fear. It can produce a worry. What if it doesn't happen? 
It's been so long, and it can also produce a complacency. Over the time, the lapse of time, we lose oftentimes passion and tenacity for the promise of God. The longer we wait, sometimes the less passion we have. But God tells us to wait because God's, our process of waiting is different than God's power in waiting. God's power in waiting goes us deep. God's desire is that we grow deep in waiting, that we are humble in waiting, in recognizing that he is God. He is God, and I don't have to be in control. In the kingdom, waiting is not a time frame. In the kingdom, waiting is a position. Waiting from God's perspective is a position that we put ourselves. It is a choice to position ourselves with God in humility. Waiting produces the depth. If we were, I want to I ask you this. If you never had to wait for anything, it was all just, it was all McDonald's drive through all the time. Nobody in line. You just get to drive right through. How much depth of faith would you have? Would you then be able to be like Jesus in John chapter 11 that we just read? And he says, this will not be unto death, but for the glory of God. And wait in humility. See, God does good things in the waiting Waiting is what connects us to the character of God in the heavenly realm. That's the intention of waiting, is that we would develop on the inside of us the character and the nature of God that is not moved by time. Our waiting is to develop in us the confident expectation, the knowing that time does not have authority over me. I have authority over time. When I position myself in humility with God, there is nothing that will move you. There is nothing that will shake you because time doesn't mean anything to you. It's simply a position of humility. That's all time becomes. That's all waiting becomes. In John chapter 11, Jesus said to us that this will be for the glory of God. But there was a waiting that was necessary for that to happen, for the full glory of God to be demonstrated in that situation. There was a waiting that needed to happen. We read in Isaiah 40, 31, he says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That word wait there means to eagerly and patiently hope. But it also means to twist together, to bind together through twisting, which means those who wait on the Lord, those who are so connected and so bound to him, time does not decrease you, but waiting actually increases you because in the time of waiting, You're growing deep. Waiting does not mean that God doesn't care. Waiting doesn't mean that God's not hearing you. Waiting doesn't mean that it's not going to come to pass. Waiting doesn't mean that it's not important to God. Waiting doesn't mean that you're not good enough or that you did something wrong. Waiting simply means that God is connecting your nature, your expectation, and your character to his nature, his expectation, and his power from the heavenly realm so that you grow deep so that when the happening comes you're not moved you're not taken with self you're not pulled aside you're not pulled off track you just continue right on in the glory of God amen 
this is, put this in your pocket. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 4, this is after Jesus has been crucified on the cross and he has come back to walk with his disciples for a period of time before he ascends into heaven. And Jesus spends time with his disciples and talking to them and teaching to them and spending time twisting them, binding them together with him, imparting all kinds of great knowledge and understanding and showing who he is. And so he speaks to the disciples and he tells them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, Passion Translation says, Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait here until you receive the gift I told you about. The gift the Father has promised. He goes on to tell them, if you wait here, there is going to be an impartation from heaven that comes to you. It's the whole reason that I went to the cross and was crucified, was buried and resurrected and will ascend into heaven. The whole reason that I did that is because Jesus says, I am one man. I can be in one place at one time. When Mary and Martha needed me, I could only be in one place at one time. But I'm about to ascend into heaven. And if you wait... The baptism of the Holy Spirit is coming to you. God's spirit will be in every single one of you and the power of God. He says, when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will be overcome with power to be witnesses of me. That means to be witnesses of me means that your life would be a walking, living demonstration of the power and the presence and the promise of the kingdom of heaven on a daily basis. But Jesus said to them, wait. So I want to ask you today, if you can shift your thinking, if you can change your perspective on the time of waiting and knowing that the waiting is not a punishment, the waiting is not a putting off, but the waiting is actually God's time of intimacy with you. It's just like when Jesus walked with the disciples for those days before he ascended into heaven. Only a very few people got to be with him. His disciples. A disciple is a follower. It's the one who wants to be with him. It's the one that wants to learn from him. I don't know about you, but I want to be a disciple. I purpose daily to be a disciple, just to spend time with him, to learn from him, to read, to pray, to worship. And what he's saying is he's saying to his disciples in this instance... That Jesus is carrying on personal conversation. And he's saying, wait. Because when you wait, there is a special thing that happens. When you let go of having to be in control and you trust me in humility, when you wait, there is a gift that comes to you. And there is power like you've never experienced before when you wait in humility. I think about those disciples in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit when Jesus said, wait. And I, I don't know. I don't know if they were like, like, does he mean wait till lunchtime? Does he mean wait for you know, they get past the day and they think, well, it must have been more than just lunchtime. Maybe, maybe he meant wait for two days. Two days pass. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe he forgot. Think about how you feel in the waiting. All of the thoughts that go through your mind in the waiting. Some of you have been waiting for days. Some of you have been waiting for weeks and months, and some of us have been waiting for years. I can tell you, I was thinking back to when I was in my late teens and early, early 20s. The biggest prayer in my heart was for a husband. I wanted so desperately to have someone to love and to love me. And I remember at times feeling like, I don't know that it will ever happen. I remember at times feeling like I could settle. 
this would be okay. I remember at times feeling like maybe I have expected too much. Or maybe I'm asking God for too much. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I did something wrong. And wanting so desperately to see my prayer come to pass. But I can tell you that when I met Darren Gleghorn in 1997, all of the waiting was worth every second to see what God would bring to me. Whatever it is that you're waiting for right now, it is such a big thing for you. It is huge to you, and you are so desperate to see that come to pass. We're all, if you're not waiting for something, there needs to be something that you are waiting for. There needs to be a continual out in front of you. And if you don't have anything right now in the name of Jesus, I ask God to impart something into your heart right now to be waiting for. Because the waiting connects you with the character and the nature of God and removes the weight of time. And you put yourself in the position of humility in waiting. I'm going to ask you right now, if you could just put on some worship music. Because I feel that we need a revival in our waiting. How many of you, just being very honest with God, just as you and God, how many of you are waiting for something that you feel is a pretty heavy waiting time right now? That you're waiting for something and it's pretty big. It's crucial for you. Maybe you're believing and you're waiting for something for someone else, someone that you know. And you're waiting for that breakthrough. You're waiting to see the glory of God break through in that situation. So if that is you, if you would stretch your hand up again. And if you don't have your hand in the air, if you do have your hand in the air, look around and just find somebody around you right now that has their hand up. And if there's somebody around you that they have their hand up and you have your hand up, I want you to set your eyes on someone. And if it's someone that you're sitting with and you guys are together, then go ahead and uh, just set your hand on one another in in the most church-appropriate fashion. (laughs) And if you didn't have your hand raised or there's nobody around you, I want you to set your eyes on someone that had their hand raised because right now you're going to connect your faith. You're going to connect your expectation with what they are waiting for, with a breakthrough for them. So does everybody have connection with someone in the room? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. God, you say to us, your promise to us is that when we wait on you, meaning that when we position ourselves in a posture of humility with you, that you renew our strength. So, Father, right now, for every person who is waiting on you for that situation in their life, for that breakthrough, for that moment, for that healing, for that financial prosperity, for the release of finances, for the restoration of marriages, for that child to be restored. Father, for the job. Father, for whatever it is, for the family. Father, for the election, for our nation, for our state, for our counties, for our towns, for our schools, for our workplaces, for our marriages, for our homes. Father, you said to us that when we wait on you, that you renew our strength. So, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I call right now for a renewal of strength, an impartation of heavenly strength, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. Father, that our minds would be so focused and so stayed on you that regardless of time, we would not grow weary, that we would not grow faint, 
But that, Father, just like the wings of eagles, that we would be lifted to that high place, that we would fly above with you in the heavenly places, above all of the disturbance, above the discouragement, above the sorrow, above the fear, above all of the things that would try to steal our faith in the time of waiting, that would try to steal our trust in the time of waiting. Father, I pray that you would mount us up with wings like eagles. And father, I declare that in the time of waiting, that our running would be faster, that our running with you would be stronger, that our running with you would be with purpose, that we don't run without a goal in mind. Father, we set the vision of breakthrough in front of us. And we declare in the name of Jesus that I shall see it come to pass now in this time. It is not set for another time period. It is set for now, Father, that your glory would be demonstrated. God, use me to demonstrate the glory of the kingdom of heaven in the breakthrough that you are bringing into my life. And as I wait, God, grow me deep, grow me deep, God, intimate time with you be with me in a beautiful, intimate way, the way that you were with your disciples before you ascended. And as you send your Holy spirit right now, Holy spirit stir on the inside of me. You have been given to me that I would be given power, a power that is not anything that I have access to on my own, but the power of the Holy Spirit was obviously something that God knew that we would need and that he desired for us to have. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said that we need it. So the Holy Spirit power on the inside of me. Father, that my life would be a witness of who you are, of your glory, of your power, of your love, and of your passion for your children. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, stir on the inside of me. Give me courage, give me strength, and give me great expectation. Because what once was dormant has been revived. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen.